0: is the Wellspring's Word. Let's read Revelations chapter 6 from 12 through 17. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as black as, as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. And the stars of the sky fell on the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb." For the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to survive. Now, that scripture is not on any promised calendar at the Christian bookstore. And I would dare to even guess that in all the years of the broadcasts of TBN and all of them, nobody's probably hammered away. Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive it? Mm, That's good stuff. Let's get into it. Father, bless our time in your word. We ask you to lead us into all truth. Open this up to us, Lord, because truly... (laughs) In, this, in all cases, the truth makes us free, but on this one, the truth is so liberating, and I just ask you to help me deliver it to them the way you've delivered it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we probably need to turn this down a little bit, just because I'm not saying I'm going to yell, but it's possible. Um, so we looked at the seals one through six last week, and at the end... I did fictional headlines, fictional news announcements, only to help us grasp how immediate this can be. That if you tried to understand the seals and what happens on the earth during the breaking of the seals, if you tried to understand it 100 years ago, it all seemed otherworldly and everybody was arguing because they couldn't figure out any way that it actually could work out. But it is remarkable to see that with the rapid advancements around the world, and I trust that if, if you weren't here last week, it's on, it's on YouTube, but everything that happens in the book of Revelation when the seals are broken is now completely doable. Like it doesn't take any stretch of the imagination to see these things happen right in our own day so the thing that matters about that then is we are not the generation that gets to keep saying well you know jesus might be back in 200 jesus might be back in 400 yeah okay that's possible because the times are held in the father's hand it's possible i'm not god he could wait as long as he wants but whereas for hundreds of years church scholars studied this stuff and there was missing pieces We have arrived on the shores of a place where there's no missing pieces left. So it does us good to at least pay attention. Now, I've made some jokes along the way because it's my style. So I've told you, you know, you don't need to fill your backyard with buried food. You don't need a bazooka and a minigun and, you know, a van full of whatever. All of the prep stuff, I mean, hey, if the Holy Spirit told you to do it, I guess do it because we're all supposed to be led of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to be honest with you when I tell you that the average believer I talk to about it is completely driven by a spirit of fear. And that's not the spirit our Father gave us. And I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute, because fear has been driving the American church for 25 years, and that is not the spirit our Father gave us where the hope for the world comes from is when a fearless church stands up and says yeah okay i see this 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 and this but my father told me to stand here and so i'm going to so when we get strident when we get fearful we actually lose our witness which is kind of sad so in the picture that is being presented in revelation and some people try to make this complex. It's really not. I almost did the cheesy thing and ordered a prop. But then I thought, you all have watched movies. You don't need a prop. So just imagine a scroll, right? It's all rolled up, and instead of being sealed in one spot, it has seven seals on it. And we've been breaking seals. Why? Because you got to break all seven to ever open it to see what's next. Last week we made it through seal number six and we were looking at this. So if you can picture this in a big scroll, it's in God's hand. Jesus has been snapping seals off this thing. The seventh one is the one that actually opens it. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? This isn't complex stuff. So the seventh one matters. But there's a statement in what's shown there in Revelation 6 where we just read about the sixth seal. There is a statement there that really matters more than people sometimes realize. That said that the world was going to announce the lost, the generals, the colonels, all the important people, right? All these people that didn't have time to serve Jesus are going to announce the day of his wrath. The great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to survive? Everybody just say wrath. This is critically important, brothers and sisters. And so oftentimes in discussions about end time events, this has been the missing piece. God never promised to deliver us from trouble. He promised to deliver us from wrath. Everybody say wrath. Wrath. The difference is, trouble's what we do to each other. Wrath is what he does to us. In Christ, I am rescued from ever being under his wrath. But for all of the slicksters on TV and all their leer jets and their porcelain teeth, the fact is, there is not one verse in the Bible that tells you you are delivered from trouble. Not a single one. And in fact, every believer that has served Jesus on every corner of this world since Calvary was darkened and the blood of Christ was shed has walked through hours of trouble, times of trouble. Every believer. This idea that as Westerners we're exempt because Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland told us we were special. They are special, but in a way that I'm not discussing. This has all been used car salesman tactics. The idea being you won't serve Jesus if there isn't something in it for you. And so we're going to add on to grace that you get money and you get favor and you get healings and you get cars and you get airplanes as if just not dying for my sin. Uh oh, not quite good enough. Let's add. That's sick. Crazy and a few other things. But my wife has been counseling me to try to be nice. So I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. But when I see erroneous stuff celebrated in the body of Christ, it bothers me. It is wrath and not trouble that we are promised deliverance from. Now, I'm going to give you a piece of this puzzle real quick from the Old Testament, and some of you, your minds are going to go, but don't make a mess. If you think back, this has been the pattern all the way through. Think back for a second. Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. God didn't deliver him from homosexuals. God didn't deliver him from wickedness. God did not deliver him from the wickedness of the people and what they wanted to do. He did not deliver Lot or say a word to him about the godlessness and all of the sin that was around him. No, that's fine. You can endure all that. When did God do something about it? Right before the fire fell from heaven. God gets his people out of his wrath. When did Noah get to build a boat? As soon as the people were wicked and vexed his soul. No. He lived right in among them and just had to deal with the fact that him and only his family was serving God for years. The Bible says it got so wicked in the days of Noah, it made God sorry that he even made us. And when you ponder for a moment that he is perfect in all of his ways, for him to look and go, I think I made a mistake, probably shocked heaven to the point of absolute silence for a minute. And yet Noah was not delivered from any of that. He got to deal with people being nasty. When did he get to get in his boat? When God was getting ready to strike the earth with the flood? See, this matters because the the people preaching end times want us to believe that any moment now a trumpet sounds, we leave our clothes on the floor, and we're out of here because God promised us deliverance from trouble. And people say the most amazing things. Somebody said to me the other day, and they meant it. Oh, my gosh, bless their heart. Pure sincerity looked at me and said, I know Jesus is coming soon. I said, wow. Wow do tell how do you know no joke full sincerity because of that thing that happened on the oscars i love you but that makes my head hurt like all of heaven is like hey boss when do we make the next move and god goes well i gotta let the wickedness of the oscars be on full display never mind israel never mind prophecies never mind all my prophets never mind all of that no it's all right there in america in a little tiny town called hollywood for stuff that goes on that's where the that's the center of my compass gabriel so give me a minute until there (laughs) please no brothers and sisters there's wickedness everywhere and we did not invent it Read some history. The wickedness happening on the average street corner in the Roman world where Paul was preaching eclipses everything you've ever seen in your life. It's so bad now. No. We just insulate ourselves from sinners, hide ourselves in the church, and then judge people for being what we were. Do you still love me? I'm not picking on anybody. Notice I said we. We do that. If we would have stayed out there preaching where we were supposed to be, they wouldn't shock us. Oh, see, you're not hearing me. The only reason we're alarmed is because we stopped being witnesses. If I had been talking to people about Jesus my entire life in the church... They wouldn't be surprising me with what they think because I would have been in the fray, out there hearing it. We're only alarmed because we hide ourselves in the church and we only listen to K-Love and we only have Christian friends. And if we get together, we only read the Bible. And then all of a sudden we turn on the Oscars because golf wouldn't tune in on our antenna. And then we go, oh, Antichrist is at the door. Or the guy on the TV is just an idiot. An idiot that's an easier explanation honestly look at that fool <laughs> so when you look in the bible again the pattern of the lord is not i got to get my people out of the wickedness no that's where we're the light that's where we're the salt is where it's dark what did jesus say he said nobody lights a candle in the middle of the daytime that would be stupid where are we the light when it's dark god's not afraid of the dark you need to stop being afraid of the dark what does the bible tell us in genesis chapter 1 verse 2 that it was dark and without form and void and the spirit of god was hovering upon the face of the deep my favorite preacher charles spurgeon wrote an entire message called god's not afraid of the dark why are you When the world was at its worst, there was the Holy Spirit moving away with all these theories. Well, the Holy Spirit couldn't do that over there because there was too much Wiccans, too much witchcraft, too many other spirits. The devil is a big fat liar, man. The Holy Ghost is the most powerful spirit on the planet, and he is not intimidated by any of it. It is us that have been intimidated by them. You say that now, Pastor Walt, but if a witch came in the back and started working an incantation over your picture, you would think differently. I would laugh. How do I know? Because I have before. If you know who you are in Christ, I'm going to say something some of you need. If you know who you are in Christ, the darkness fears you. Not the other way around. He's got 27 demons. Cool. I got one Jesus. And greater is he who's in me. I am Legion for we are many. You can't even count. I will keep walking with the risen one. How you doing? So First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 told us this. They speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. And look at that. He is the one who rescues us from the terrors of what? Coming judgment. It doesn't say Jesus rescues you from grumpy neighbors or high taxes or Democrats. It says Jesus rescues you from the terrors of coming judgment. Slightly more important, in my opinion. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Paul said it this way, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Everyone stops there. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. What are we being saved from? God. Oh, see, people want to talk about you need to get saved, and a good young person will look at you and go, Saved from what? And if you're a huckster from poverty, God will save you from low self-esteem. You'll know how special you are. Now, the fact is, Jesus saves us from God. He's the one holy, he's the one eternal, and he's the one that will judge it all. What am I being saved from? The fact that my daddy can be grumpy and he's very holy and I am not. So where I hide is with Jesus. I'm with him. Yeah, I know. I got some stuff wrong and sometimes I was in trouble and I lied like Abraham. And sometimes I lost my cool like Peter. And sometimes, and I'm going to be throwing names and everything else. Why? Because I know I'm not holy and if you're smart, you know you aren't too. And there's the Father, perfect. He goes, there's only one way for you to be perfect again. You got to come through the way and the truth and the life, friends. This is why false religions don't work is because they remove a holy God from the equation. The problem is not figuring out how to live better on the earth. The problem is what are you planning to do when you die? And you stand before a God of infinite holiness. I will pledge the teachings of Buddha. And he will smile and say, yeah, Buddha was sweet, but that's not the point. Bye. We are being saved from God's righteousness. And now we arrive at the most distasteful thing in the all of the United States of America right now. This is the part that I told you nobody else is talking about today i can almost feel it i don't know it for a fact because there's probably some good hardcore southern baptist dude somewhere down in alabama man king james bible nine people thundering about the wrath of god and everybody drives by all he needs a new revelation no he doesn't because it's the bible The idea that a holy God is going to ultimately judge and punish those that reject salvation in Christ is the single most difficult concept for modern unbelievers to accept. The thing that they are honestly, for all of their attitude and all of their vim and all of their vigor, they might make the argument all over over here, but the real issue that they cannot accept is that a holy God will eventually judge... Everyone who rejects Christ, you say, well, Pastor, that's not a feel-goody at all. There would be more people here if you would stop talking about these things. Maybe, but here's my real problem as a pastor: is to have 500 here, the trumpet sound, and there be six, and have Jesus turn to me and go, "Hey, Pastor, where's your church?" Well, we didn't like talking about this part, so we skipped it. No, I would much rather us be a church of 40 or 50 and have 100% arrival rate. That's just how I feel about it. But see, this idea that God's been grumpy about sin has been part of the gospel since the very beginning. It's only been our invention that he's not somehow right john 3:32, the original guy john the baptist right warm fuzzy nice talking about jesus said this he testifies about what he has seen and heard about how few believe what he but how few believe what he tells them anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that god is true for he is sent by god he speaks god's words for god gives him the spirit without limit that's awesome The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. Now look at this, because we celebrate the first part and ignore the second part. Anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. And the church says, amen. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life. And look at that. But remains under God's angry judgment what how can this be i'll tell you how i'll give you an illustration imagine an enormous multi-lane highway multiple lanes nice flat level shady with sound music's playing and all of the world is walking this is why i don't dance because i don't have rhythm and And everything's fine, right? Everyone's walking. They're already on that road. They just don't know where it ends. Now, periodically along the way, there's an off-ramp that's a U-turn, and it gets really steep. So you can see, when the people take the off-ramp, you can see them all of a sudden working hard, climbing up this steep slope, and having a hard time. And you're down here with your, with your margarita. You know, listening to whatever you like. And it's shady and easy. And Well, look at those fools. Why in the world would you take that off-ramp for a harder way? That's dumb. This road's easy. And a little while later, there's another off-ramp. Turns back and goes the same way. There's a guy standing at the off-ramp going, You really need to get off this road and go this way. You look and you see that the people that get off the road, first of all, there's not very many of them. They're very few in number, and they're having a much harder time than you are. Nah, that just seems stupid. Till you figure out that the easy highway ends in the fire, and only the people who took the off-ramp survived. And interestingly enough, Jesus taught it that way. In Matthew seven thirteen, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Pastor, are you saying God's mad at people who are not believers? I'm not saying anything. I'm telling you what the Bible says. For all of you that struggle with that, consider for a moment the graciousness of God. My son is innocent, and I love you so much that I'm going to kill him in your place. Now, I can do that because he's holy, and because he's holy, death can't hold him. Because he's holy, and the wages of sin is death, but he never sinned. So I can go ahead and do this. I can have him walk through that. What did Isaiah 53 say? We esteemed him smitten by God, not the devil. No, it is God's justice that we have a problem with. And the sin of all of us is laid on Christ so that from that point on, as dirty, sinful, nasty little dogs like we are, all we have to do is believe that that was enough atonement for me And I can be forgiven. And you're telling me that the father's supposed to watch his son make that sacrifice. And you live your life as a blasphemer, an arrogant fool, using his name as a cuss word and running your mouth about how stupid all that is. And you actually think that on some level you don't start to tick him off. Think it through. You throw fits at red lights. You throw fits when the neighbor's dog barks. You throw fits when your kids spill Kool-Aid on the carpet. You throw fits when somebody doesn't like your stuffing at Thanksgiving. And yet you're supposed to believe that you can eternally, daily, hourly, by the moment, offend God every single moment of your life. And you're never going to deal with his anger? Yes, you will. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you a really great reason why you should. Because God is awesome. And the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the only place to hide from him is in Christ. Oh, come on. I'm giving you gospel on a level anybody can understand. The only place you can hide from God is in Christ. So if you don't want to deal with that, you better run home to Jesus quick. I don't like the fact you're trying to make me afraid. I'm trying to make you very afraid. Because Jesus is the one that said, don't be afraid of people. They can only kill your body. You better fear the Lord who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And for anybody who right now is going like, wait a minute, this is getting intense. One moment in front of Jesus and you won't think I was intense at all. In fact, a whole bunch of pastors are going to be pulled up short by their own congregations at the gate because they're going to want to know, why didn't you tell us about this? Well, I was afraid to. I didn't think you'd tithe. Is going to feel like a really stupid answer on that day. Hey everybody, one way you can help us out here on the Wellsprings Word is to subscribe. Um, Subscription numbers is a big way of how people find podcasts online. And since we had to transfer from one platform to another, we've got plenty of people listening, but our subscription number is down. So take a minute if you can and just subscribe, it helps us out. And uh, if you want to go the extra mile and help us, Share the show around. If you've got friends or if you've got family that you think would benefit from just clear, concise, biblical teaching like this, um, just take the extra 20, 30 seconds and, you know, put it in a text message and send it out or your social medias or whatever. Uh, It just really helps us out, and we'd appreciate that so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Do you know why grace is amazing? Because God is frightening. Oh, see, we don't even want to think about this stuff. Why is grace amazing? Well, because God is so loving and cool and comfortable. He's like the Michelin tire, man. You just fall back in him and it's soft and gooey and marshmallows. That's not amazing. That's your grandma. Grace is amazing because everything about him, his very essence being holy would destroy me except for the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb. It's amazing because we don't belong there. It's amazing because we should have no part in it. It's amazing because your guardian angel, who has never sinned, or he would have gotten cast down. So your angel has kept his nose straight and he's watched over you every day of your life. He's watched every dumb thing you ever did. He's watched every foolish thing you've ever did. He watched you backslide. He watched you get off into sin. He watched you play around with dumb, false teachings. He watched you mess around in groups that were weird. He saw you get bitter and offended and hold on to it and be angry and kept you safe through all this garbage. And you make your way back to Jesus. And eventually, whether it's because you die or the trumpet sounds, there you are in heaven and your angel presents you and he knows the whole story. That moment is why grace is amazing. Because the one that's been watching over you your whole entire life knows. Wait a minute. We've been telling him he's holy for eternity. Because in him there is no darkness at all. And not only did you have darkness, you kept playing with it. The lamb is on the throne because he paid for all the sins. The sins you kept messing with. Grace is amazing because on that day, we don't belong there, but we get to be there anyways. Man, when it's time to sing a song in church, that's why somebody joked with me last. Pastor, you act like you could just sing all day. Yes. Yes, I could. I could celebrate way into the night. You will never out-worship me because I am keenly aware that I don't belong in the family at all. But by the grace of God, he said, come and be my son. And I was adopted into a family that I have no part in other than the goodness of a father's heart to say, if you'll believe me, we'll leave you behind and make something new. See, why, why are we talking about, what, what, what happened to Revelation? This is too intense. Let's run back to the book of Revelation where it was easy. The reason it matters it's because when we get to the seventh seal breaking, the most powerful picture probably in the book, somebody asked me the other day, what's the most important parts of Revelation? My opinion, chapter 6, 7, and 8. And the reason why is because chapter 6, we start breaking all the seals. Chapter 7, we find out what happens to the Jews and to the church. And the beginning of chapter 8, at the breaking of the seventh seal, god goes from being benevolent to being angry and that matters my friends a lot more than people want to believe it let's read revelation 8 1 when the lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour i saw the seven angels who stand before god and they were given seven trumpets another angel with golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. But look at that. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and he threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed and lightning flashed and there was a terrible earthquake. Now, the vision of this moment matters a lot more than people realize because if you read the book of Revelation, chapter one's the encounter. Chapter two and three were letters to churches at that time. Here's what you're dealing with. Chapter four, John gets to see heaven. Chapter five, he's mourning because nobody can open the scroll. Chapter six, we start to open the scroll. But when does the scroll open? When you break all the seals off of it. So, what was hiding in the scroll? Not all that stuff. The scroll just opened. At the breaking of the seventh seal, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, I try to be a good Bible teacher, so I'm not going to tell you for sure what that is because it doesn't say. But in my opinion, think of that moment. It has never been silent in heaven. Ever. The angels of heaven have been worshiping God nonstop for eternity. And this moment is so powerful that at the breaking of the seventh seal, just picture all of the flying beings stop. And it's just quiet. Can you even fathom that? I can't. I have a good imagination. I think I sort of could sneak up on it. But my goodness, what was that moment will be like? It has never been silent there. Ever. Ever. And at the breaking of the seventh seal, everyone is hushed and everyone is quiet. Why? Because of the transition that's about to happen. Because in the breaking of the seals, like I told you, lots of bad stuff's happening, but it's all what we do to each other. War, famine, martyrdom, oppression, all of that is stuff men do to each other. The transition that happens at that moment is remarkable in the scripture and it matters more than people realize because this is the first moment where the fire, the picture of judgment is always fire and it's the first moment that the fire begins to fall from heaven to earth. The wrath of God. And if you keep reading and you can be because it's your own Bible, you don't have to be afraid of it keep reading through chapter 8 and what you find is a whole different thing from the seals and we're going to get there not today i gave you too much already some of your eyes are spinning in opposite directions here's the thing every trumpet that sounds is a totally different level from war and martyrdom no The trumpet starts sounding and it's fire and hail and earthquakes and lightning. And it is God striking out, God lashing out in his wrath and in his anger. And we go, wait a minute, nobody on TV ever told us that was going to be a thing. Not my problem, I'm not on TV. And this is probably why. Because I insist on telling you the truth. Almost like I'm going to answer to God for what I preach from his word. Heaven and the fire from the altar are thrown to the earth. And this is the transition from trouble and tribulation to wrath and judgment. And what were we promised to be delivered from? Judgment. Wrath. We weren't promised an exit from trouble. We are promised an exit from wrath. If you were paying attention, we read the end of chapter 6 And we skipped to the beginning of chapter 8, the breaking of the seventh seal. Why did we do that? Because chapter 7 is what we're going to talk about next week because that's where we find out what's happening with us. And what's happening with us is that we are already there. Why? Because we are promised deliverance from wrath. We are told that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. So when some, a friend of mine contacted me and he said, I don't know about this way you're teaching revelations, I don't like it. I said, okay, fine, based in something biblical and he literally said in a text message, he's probably watching and I love you, bro, you know that I do, but he said in a text message, I just don't like it. I thought, well, as long as you've got a deep reason. See, there's two ways to pursue this. I'd rather believe a lie because it makes me feel better or I'd rather know the truth even if it's hard because then I at least know what's happening. I asked him why he didn't like it, and he said, and it's possible some of you feel this way, and this is why I'm going to just air it out. And I told him I was going to, so he can't even be mad. He said, I don't feel like it causes hope. It's not hopeful. I said, really, that's remarkable to me. Because what I'm preaching from the Bible is the essence of hope. To me, there's a moment of God's discontent and he's going to judge sin. And you and I don't have to have any part in it unless we want to. I can find the free gift of salvation in Christ and never have to be fearful of God's judgment or I can keep playing games in my head, rejecting everybody, living my own life and doing my own thing and then fall into the hands of an angry God. I don't see how that's not hopeful because everything I need is in him and he gives it away for free. How is that not hopeful? The only way for it to not be hopeful is if you bought into the American gospel that what Jesus was saving you from was poverty or from trouble, or from people not liking you, or Jesus was saving you from the damage of your past, or he was saving you from having low self-esteem, whatever this modern stuff is. Well, yeah, if you buy into that, and then I stand here and go, well, no, there's trouble coming. Go, oh, see, no. No, I don't like that at all. I'm going to the other church. That's the beauty about skipping church, or going to other church, you go wherever you want, and you won't change this. You would do better to just hang out and grow up. I'm mad at you. I'm going somewhere else. That'll teach you. No. No, you don't hurt me when you do that. I mean, yeah, on a personal level, if Chase gets mad at me and he leaves, he's my friend. I'd miss him. But he's not hurting me. He's very potentially hurting him. Now, if you get mad and you leave because you just don't like me, that's fine. You don't have to like me. That's not in the Bible. But if you get mad and leave because you don't like what the Bible says and I told you, brothers, please rethink that. Because you can run all over the world and at the end you're going to stand before the word. You ever met that person that's been to 43 different churches and they know what's wrong with all of them? I'm so fascinated to see how that day is going to go. Checking in, Jesus, and the Lord going, yeah, we need to talk. We need to talk. For you were always good at spotting the speck in the pastor's eye. Somehow you never figured out you had a log sticking out of your own You thought people respected you. It's just because when you turned your head, they had to duck. No, this is absolutely hopeful. In Christ, I can be free of ever fearing God's judgment. In Christ, I find newness of life if I want it. See, this is the thing that I think most Americans struggle with. God is the original author of personal accountability. You get to do with Jesus whatever you want to your own peril. I don't want it. I reject it. And the most frightening thing about God, I love this stuff, man. I love history. Somebody asked D.L. Moody one time, what scares you about God the most? And Moody said, the fact that he will let me reject his son. If you want to have something to be scared about, consider that Christ is the only way, and you can stick your chin out to God and tell Him to take a hike, and He will let you. That's a frightening piece. No, I celebrate the love and the grace that I find in Jesus Christ because I don't have any room to belong in His family, and yet with Christ, He calls me His Son. Come on. Think of all the dumb things you've done in your life. I know we don't like to, but just take a second. All the dumb things you've done in your life. And your angel is like, good God, why did you have me guard him? Are you kidding? Why couldn't I give him the stupid helmet? He just kept messing up. And you just kept telling me to shield him from his own stupidity. And you check in at the gate. And here's Jesus, the Son of God. And God look at you and go, that's my son too. It is like the most ragged orphans in history being adopted by the richest man who ever lived and being treated like they've been living in the house since birth. Why do we sing, Pastor probably that right there. I don't worship based on whether I had a good week or not. I don't worship based on whether or not people like me or not. I don't worship based on whether I'm having trouble or not. I don't worship based on, well, I tried to worship the Lord, but I've been fighting this demon all week, and I just couldn't know. That demon can go back to hell where he came from. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus because I can't speak for you, but the only thing I ever found worth having in my life was him. So I cling to him, and I follow him, and I tell the world about him because he's the only thing worth talking about is what Christ has done. Let me give you one more thing. That altar, right, says he takes the labor, throws the fire to the earth. There's a cool thing in that picture, and it was probably there. Some of you noticed it. That mixture on that altar includes the prayers of the saints, if you noticed. So when we look and we go like, what is all that? What does that mean? Every prayer ever uttered on this planet. God, how long are you going to let the wicked prosper? Lord, aren't you going to do something about this injustice? Lord, how long is it going to be till you do something about the fact that this is wrong? And we pray, pray all the time, all the way back. Read the Old Testament, man, the Old Testament prophets. Father, how can you let this be like this? Every single one of those prayers stored up in heaven, not one of them lost, not one of them forgotten, not one of them not heard. And in the day of God's wrath, every petition that's ever been made that he make this right will be answered. And a bowl full of our prayers will get poured on the earth. Don't ever think that a prayer delayed was a prayer wasted. No. Sometimes it's just not time. We watch people do horrible things to each other. We watch people that we love get hurt, and we go, God, do something about that. Somebody that I love is being damaged. You told me that I can't take vengeance in my own hands, so I'm not going to kill them. You could, and that would be cool. What are you waiting on? And if you could hear him in that moment, he would say, I'm waiting till Revelations chapter 8, verse 5. And don't you worry, once I start to set this right, every single person will answer for everything they ever did. And the primary one will be when they rejected my son after I had him pay the price for them. Now, see, I don't know if that hits you as intense, a heavy way to leave church. I don't know. I rejoice in the truth, man. Why be a witness? Because there's a lot on the line. If I share the Scripture with my aunt, she might get offended, not nearly as offended as she'll be later. If I try to tell my coworkers about Jesus, I might not get the promotion. Yeah, true enough. And if nobody ever tells them, what did Paul say? He said, I'm persuaded. Go look this up. This is your homework because when I say this, you won't believe it's in your Bible and it is. And I only know it is because I read the Bible more than you. I have to. It's my job. No, I'm kidding. I read it because I like it. But when I say this, very few of you have this underlined in your Bible. The Apostle Paul said about his witness, therefore... Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Some have pointed out that Jesus talked about heaven twice and hell nine times. And people argue, should the church be preaching hellfire and brimstone or only heaven? It depends on what you think. I'll leave that to you. But what I notice when I peruse the gospels is the people he told about hell were his disciples. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense if they're not going there. It makes a lot of sense if the great commission is how we rescue other people from going there. When you're tempted to quit, Matthew, this is what eternity looks like for them if you stop preaching. When you try to draw back, Peter, this is what eternity will look like for them if you stop preaching. When they start hating you for my name's sake, you will want to run home and hide. But this is what eternity looks like for them if you stop holding out the way of life. There's a lot on the line, man. We're going to take communion in a minute. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate the fact that because Jesus allowed himself to be broken and he had his blood to be shed, I don't have to be lost. I can escape judgment and stand before the throne of God and have him say, son, come on in and enter into the joy of the Lord. Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.